This show is made possible by members and donors who sign up at bestoftheleft.com and also by gotomeeting.com, green technology helping reduce the need for business travel. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Rachel Maddow Show, Counterspin, Countdown, The Progressive, and a YouTube clip featuring Joel Burns with a bonus video clip for our iPhone app users from The Rachel Maddow Show. America's policy of banning gay people from serving in our military is having a hard couple of years. At the heart of its problems, a man gets elected president in 2008 who says he is committed to getting rid of the policy. This year, I will work with Congress and our military to finally repeal the law that denies gay Americans the right to serve the country they love because of who they are. President Obama is elected. More trouble for Don't Ask, Don't Tell as the nation also elects big Democratic majorities in the House and in the Senate. In the House, an Iraq War veteran, a blue dog Democrat named Patrick Murphy, takes on the issue and says he's going to lobby every single member of the House of Representatives personally until he's got the votes to get the policy repealed. Congressman Murphy does it in the House. The House votes to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell. In the Senate, the vote to repeal it is stopped only by Republicans filibustering the funding of the entire Pentagon. Because of that filibuster, as it stands now, Pentagon spending is not authorized by the United States Congress for the first time in 48 years. That seems rather unsustainable. In the military, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Defense Secretary have both said they are against the policy. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs putting his opposition in passionate and personal terms. It does go to, again, a sort of a fundamental principle with me, uh, which is everybody counts. And part of the struggle back to the institutional integrity aspect of this. Well, I know. We've, and, we've, and, I appreciate your view. And putting individuals in a position that every single day they wonder whether today is going to be the day, and devaluing them in that regard just as inconsistent with us as an institution. Uh, I have served with homosexuals since 1968. Senator McCain spoke to that in his statement. Everybody in the military has, and we understand that. So it is a, a, a number of things which cumulatively, for me personally, get me to this position. Senator Sessions, for me, this is, about, this is not about command influence. This is about leadership, and I take that very seriously. Don't ask, don't tell policy has had a hard couple of years because of all that happening in Washington. But perhaps a bigger reason America's policy of banning gay people from the military is having a hard couple of years is because the country keeps meeting these honorable and incredibly impressive, dedicated Americans in uniform who the policy says must be fired from military service. They are the faces of the policy. They are activists against the policy, and in some cases, they are plaintiffs in lawsuits challenging the policy. Today, another landmark blow against Don't Ask, Don't Tell in a lawsuit brought by the Log Cabin Republicans, a gay group within the GOP. A permanent injunction against the policy was today issued by a California federal judge. Now, this is not an unexpected development in this case, but it is a big deal. Now, within 60 days, the Justice Department must decide whether or not to appeal. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Even though the Obama administration is technically on record against Don't Ask, Don't Tell, they could, in fact, appeal this ruling, if only for procedural reasons. 
That said, they definitely got political cover for letting this thing go if they decide to. Almost 70 Democrats in the House asked the Obama administration to not appeal the ruling, to just let the judge strike down the policy back in September. Today, 21 senators asked again that the Obama administration let this judge's ruling stand. And in what seems like an important development, a Pentagon official gave a comment to NBC News tonight that suggests the possibility that the military may, as a practical matter, just stop implementing the policy now. Quote, it's important to point out that today's federal court order comes less than two months before the Pentagon is to provide Secretary of Defense Robert Gates with a plan on how, not if, but how, to implement the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell in the military. In light of the recent and tragic spate of gay youth suicides, the Washington Post's On Faith blog chose to honor National Coming Out Day, October 11th, with a guest post by raging homophobe Tony Perkins of the Family Research Council. The post, titled Christian Compassion Requires the Truth About Harms of Homosexuality, accused homosexual activist groups and their allies in media and education of being the real bullies pushing gay kids to accept themselves and believe they can't change. It's that, Perkins wrote, that creates a sense of despair that could lead to suicide. As evidence, Perkins cited two studies that he says show that depression amongst gay people is not connected to discrimination. The trouble is, the two studies actually say the opposite, as Jim Burroway of Box Turtle Bulletin was able to demonstrate by actually clicking on the links Perkins provided, presumably, Burroway says, for decoration. One study author actually predicted precisely the sort of anti-gay misuse of the work that Perkins illustrates. But twisting facts isn't unusual for Perkins. His group often relies on pseudoscientific anti-gay studies like those of the Family Research Institute, whose head, Paul Cameron, once argued that extermination of homosexuals might be needed in the next three to four years. Yet Perkins is a go-to guy for corporate media. When he put out a statement saying repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell would jeopardize our nation's security to advance the agenda of the radical homosexual lobby, CNN felt that merited two interviews, while MSNBC went with Perkins' colleague, Peter Sprigg, who warned that a repeal was guaranteed to lead to sexual assault. By gays, not against them. The heartening thing about the Post column is that the comments on the blog are overwhelmingly and fiercely critical of On Faith editors John Meacham and Sally Quinn's decision to give space to Perkins on the subject and not to fact-check him. But we still have to wonder when corporate media outlets will stop lending legitimacy to lying bigots in the first place. Disappear. 
If you're like most Americans, you're dreading the idea of traveling to be with those you love this holiday season, knowing that this time spent watching your children form memories that will last a lifetime is keeping you from the important sales presentations that really matter. With GoToMeeting, you can give an engaging presentation by showing your desktop via the internet to clients and colleagues. The software installs quickly and is so easy and effective that your meeting will be wrapped up before the tryptophan has a chance to take effect. Visit GoToMeeting.com and use the promo code PODCAST to try unlimited meetings for 45 days. That's GoToMeeting.com promo code PODCAST for this special free 45-day trial. A landmark in American civil rights tonight. The U.S. government, as of this afternoon, prohibited uh, prohibited from discriminating against gay soldiers in the U.S. military. A federal judge ordering an immediate end, as in now, to any and all discharges of gay military personnel based on their sexuality. After forcing an estimated 14,000 Americans to stop serving their country because of who they love, the judge's order today said no more. That the estimated 66,000 gay Americans now on active duty need lie and deceive and fear expulsion? No more. Gay Americans who wish to serve their country in the future would have to hide their true selves? No more. After 17 years, three presidents, and a generation of soldiers, in our fifth story tonight, Don't Ask, Don't Tell has been struck down. Alexander Nicholson, the gay veteran whose lawsuit killed it, standing by to join us in an exclusive interview, as is the first openly gay member of Congress, Representative Barney Frank. Today's injunction was handed down by U.S. District Judge Virginia Phillips in Riverside, California. The lawsuit was filed by the Log Cabin Republicans on behalf of members who are now serving or had served in the U.S. military. Alexander Nicholson, the only one not named as a John Doe in the suit. Defense Secretary Gates opposes Don't Ask, Don't Tell and is awaiting a report on how to end it internally. Pentagon officials telling NBC News tonight they are studying the order to halt enforcement of it, suggesting the Pentagon may comply, quoting, it's important to point out that today's federal court order comes less than two months before the Pentagon is to provide Secretary of Defense Robert Gates with a plan on how, not if, but how, to implement the repeal. The lawsuit was fought by the Justice Department defending the law, despite uh, President uh, Obama's public opposition to it. Mr. Obama has resisted pressure to do away with Don't Ask, Don't Tell, using his power as president, preferring to have Congress do so through legislation, which it has failed to do. Today, the White House had little reaction to the ruling. Morning. First of all, if you had any reaction, a federal judge has granted an injunction that don't ask, don't tell. I, I was told something about that as I walked out. I would point you to, to DOJ, uh, as I assume they will analyze the briefing. I obviously, you know the president's view on uh, changing the law and don't ask, don't tell. The big question now, will the Justice Department appeal? DOJ had no comment. Here now, most of the text of today's order, three short, shattering paragraphs. To quote, The court, one, declares that the act known as Don't Ask, Don't Tell infringes the fundamental rights of United States service members and prospective service members and violates, A, the substantive due process rights guaranteed under the Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution, and B, the rights to freedom of speech and to petition the government for redress of grievances guaranteed by the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. Two, permanently enjoins defendants, United States of America and the Secretary of Defense, their agents, servants, 
officers, employees, and attorneys, and all persons acting in participation or concert with them or under their direction or command from enforcing or applying the Don't Ask, Don't Tell Act and implementing regulations against any person under their jurisdiction or command. Three, orders defendants, United States of America and the Secretary of Defense, immediately to suspend and discontinue any investigation or discharge, separation, or other proceeding that may have been commenced under the Don't Ask, Don't Tell Act or pursuant to 10 U.S. Code Section 654 or its implementing regulations on or prior to the date of this judgment. It is so ordered, October 12, 2010. With us tonight, as promised, the only named plaintiff in this historic suit, Alexander Nicholson, member of the Log Cabin Republicans, founder and executive director of Service Members United, the nation's largest organization of gay troops, veterans, and supporters. Great thanks for your time tonight, sir. Of course. Thanks for having me. How do you feel? Uh, it's been a euphoric day. This day has been a long time coming. Uh, many of us have thought Don't Ask, Don't Tell to be unconstitutional for a long time. The judge agreed last month, and she followed through this month and actually had some teeth on her ruling. Uh, issued an injunction, and now the Pentagon's barred from enforcement. You joined the Army in 2001 in May. Uh, you spoke several languages. You were involved in collecting human intelligence. And, and after 9-11, when rumors about uh, your ori orientation surfaced, some of your fellow service members actually warned you to, if I have the quote correctly, be more careful about it. Uh, is that correct? And that, was that because they wanted to, you to stay in the service with them? Uh, that's pretty much correct. I was being trained as a human intelligence collector. I went in multilingual. And when I happened to be outed by a colleague inadvertently, I did, I did have a number of my uh, other service members come up to me and say, uh, and warn me and say that uh, the information is starting to leak out. You need to be a little bit more careful. Of course, uh, it was sort of an inadvertent fluke that I was outed to begin with. Uh, but they were pretty good about having my back and warning me of what was coming. Um, you know, unfortunately, the information continued to filter up, went to the command, and, um, you know, I was ultimately discharged just six months after 9-11. And that would be March 22 of 2002. What did that mean um, with the honorable discharge? What did that mean when they forced you out? You know, it, the day I was discharged was unfortunately, uh, you know, such a relief because of the two months of turmoil and emotional roller coaster I had gone through. Uh, it was, it was, it was a relief, but it was extremely sad and disappointing because the army uh, is something that I had grown up around. My father was a career military, and uh, it's something that I planned to do as a career. Uh, I was a talented recruit. I uh, was multilingual when I went in. I was being trained in human intelligence collection, and it was right around the time of 9/11. I was somebody that they desperately needed, and uh, you know, it was sort of. It was a slap in the face uh, that didn't make a lot of sense to me at the time when I was, uh, you know, 20 years old, I believe, uh, 20, 21 years old. Um, it, it was just, you know, a mix of emotions. It took me years to recover, uh, but you know, eventually I did and became one of the nation's leading "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" repeal advocates, and I'm happy to be a part of uh, overturning and gutting the law now. Was there a, a big jump in your mind to actually filing the suit? Um, I was approached by Log Cabin to be a part of it. I was, you know, a, a member of Log Cabin Republicans. Uh, they had been a big supporter of our work with Service Members United. Uh, I was approached to be a part of the lawsuit when it was about to be dismissed because, for, because it just had John Doe plaintiffs, uh, and it was it was sort of a, um, a non-issue for me. I was I was more than happy to go in and, and help save the case and, and revive it by being the named public plaintiff, the mm -hmm. named injured veteran, and uh, you know it's something that I've been happy to be a part of since. And, and, and you know, fortunately for us, this is what looks like may uh, gut don't ask don't tell finally you've been very critical of president obama on this issue I explain that if you would i have i've been uh, critical of, of him on two fronts number one with respect to this case and the legal challenges uh, the justice department did not have to pursue the legal challenges uh, as uh, viciously as they have they've, they've taken some extraordinary measures uh, in some cases in trying to quash these lawsuits uh, this one in particular 
Uh, I've also been critical on the legislative front. There's a lot more the president could have done to help ensure a legislative victory on Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Just last month, when the National Defense Authorization Act was up through a vote, I've been critical of both President Obama and uh, the Democratic leadership in the Senate for mm -hmm. not doing enough. If the administration appeals, uh, decides to appeal, and uh, somehow wins, and the Republicans in the next Congress continue to block the repeal as they have this year, where does the, assign, uh, the assignment of blame go from there, do you think? You know, I think blame, there, there's enough to be spread around quite far. Uh, the Republicans certainly uh, are, are do some blame. Um, you know, they obviously blocked it uh, in block on NDAA. Uh, the president, you know, certainly continues to deserve some, some blame for not speaking up enough. Uh, we'll wait and see what he does in the lame duck and the Democratic leadership. If they bring the National Defense Authorization Act back up, uh, you know, maybe they can mitigate some of that blame by trying to get it, you know, accomplished legislatively in the lame duck. Um, but, you know, if, if, if when January comes around, if we're in the same place or still uh, trudging along with don't ask, don't tell, um, you know, I think a lot of the blame is going to lay with the president. He really has a lot of authority here that I think he's trying to put on some others, the Department of Justice, the Congress. He really has a lot of authority to step in and do a lot on this issue that he's not doing right now. I, I believe that he believes that Don't Ask, Don't Tell is wrong, uh, but I'd really like to see him step up and step up to the plate on this and actually put some, uh, put some of that presidential power behind that belief. Alexander Nicholson, as we mentioned, the only named plaintiff in the Log Cabin Republicans' historic lawsuit, founder of Service Members United. Uh, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you for your service to the country. And congratulations on, as you said, the euphoric day for you. You're very welcome. Thank you, Keith. Let's turn now to Congressman Barney Frank of Massachusetts. Congressman, thanks for your time tonight. Glad to. Can I just say one thing? I, I have to give yeah. credit where it's due. I was the second openly gay member. My colleague Gary Studge was the first. So I, I was the first to come out voluntarily. But uh, my late colleague Gary Studge was the first member of Congress to acknowledge being gay. And thanks for correcting us on that. Uh, set aside for a moment your role as a congressman, as a person, as an American, as a gay man, how do you feel tonight in the light of this ruling? Well, as an American citizen, I feel better protected. Mm. Uh, it seems to me a great error for us to have told as a country thousands and thousands of highly qualified men and women uh, you can't serve. You know, when this first came up, I asked Colin Powell uh, 20 years ago, why, what was the justification for uh, excluding gays in the military? This was when it was a tougher ban even than Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I said, are, are you worried about espionage? And I was out by then, so he knew where this was coming from. And Colin Powell, was credit, although he opposed the change, said, look, the gay men and lesbians in the military have been wonderful members of the military. There's no criticism of them. What he said was there's so much prejudice against them that it would be disruptive, blaming the victims. Mm -hmm. So um, I feel very pleased that my country is now going to have the full pool of people to choose from. And yes, as a gay man, I am very pleased to see that we are making progress in this fight against prejudice. Is there any question in your mind the Pentagon has to stop enforcing this right now, or is there any ambiguity? Oh, no. No, there's no ambiguity. But I, can I say, Keith, I was disappointed, Mr. Nicholson. I admire his courage, but the partisanship of his remarks was appalling. Uh, first, the president cannot simply abrogate this. It's a statute. Uh, the president could uh, do a better job of enforcement, and they have, in fact, done that. The Obama administration did scale back the enforcement from where it was under both Clinton and Bush, and I give Obama credit for that. But this is statutory. It has to be repealed. I believe it will be repealed in the lame duck. And for people who, by the way, are inclined to say judicial activism, understand, they, they have to understand the president of the United States thinks it's a bad policy. A majority of the House of Representatives has voted to repeal it. 
a majority of the Senate Committee on Armed Services has voted to repeal it, and a strong majority of the Senate, but unfortunately not enough to break a filibuster, mm -hmm. voted to repeal it. So the repeal of this has the overwhelming support of the elected branches. But the Democrats, this was unfortunately a partisan issue in the Congress. When the vote came in the Senate to pass the bill that repealed it, every single Republican voted no. In the House, we got five Republicans to vote with us to repeal this, and uh, 170 against it. Well, 90% of the Democrats were for it. Now, I wish things were different, but I was really disappointed that Mr. Nicholson would make this a partisan issue. They're the log cabin Republicans. Unfortunately, they have brought virtually no Republican support. Now, I want to push ahead, and I hope we will have a vote on it in the lame duck session of the Senate. I believe we will. And if the log cabin Republicans can produce two or three Republicans, this thing will go away. Uh, in the short term, is it your expectation that the administration will appeal this ruling, or are they going to let this go and, and thus facilitate, in many ways, the repeal of which you speak? My advice, which I will now take advantage of your <laughs> program to give them, Keith, is they've got 60 days. We will have the lame duck session convene in less time than that. The lame duck session will convene on the 15th of November. Uh, clearly what they should do is wait and see. I hope they don't appeal it at all, but it would be really foolish to repeal it, to appeal it before we can mm -hmm. repeal it. So, and it would be cleanest, by the way, to have a congressional vote. I am glad the judge did that. It's an unconstitutional policy. But it would be better from the standpoint of American democracy to complete the process of the elected officials doing this. And so what I would urge the administration to do is nothing until Congress has reconvened and the Senate has a chance to vote on it. And we have overwhelming support from the Democratic senators. And as I said, if my log cabin Republican friends can get us, I think, two Republicans, then this thing goes away in the best possible way, because certainly the president will sign it, the House has passed it, and it will have been done in the most small-D Democratic way possible. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know change is going to come. And it's too hard living But I'm afraid to die Cause I don't know what's up there Just beyond the sky It's been a long, long time coming But I know a change is gonna come And I miss my family My little girl She is my princess I'd give her the world It's been a long, long time coming But I know the change is gonna come You are an F-16 fighter pilot um, Multiple deployments including uh, combat missions in Iraq You've got um, not only a very impressive military career behind you You have what seems to be a very impressive military career ahead of you Why why risk even this much um, coming out? Why is it important for you to talk about this now? I think that, that the, the reason why now is um, I, I've seen us come so close and, and with Don't Ask, Don't Tell to, uh, to getting it repealed and, and it's like the carrot that's, that's there in front of you and we can't, write, can't quite reach it. And you can only sit on the sidelines for so long. Um, it's not in my nature, I think most most uh, military members, it's not in our nature to sit on the sidelines mm -hmm. uh, and have someone else fight for us. Um, so I've always wanted to get into the fight and, uh, and do a little bit more uh, with the constraints that are obviously in place right now. So 
um, that was really important to me to, to, to do what I can to, uh, to put a face on the issue. Um, and I know there's other people that have come before me and will come after me to, that will do the same thing. And I think the more, the more people who do that, um, the harder it is to argue against it. It's easy to be um, against an idea or to be bigoted against an idea, but it's, it's uh, a lot harder to do that when you actually know a person. You've been um, in a long-term relationship, um, and I know I know that's one of the reasons that you wanted to talk about the impact of "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" on you personally. What's important for people to understand about how the policy affects somebody who's in the military who does have a same-sex partner? I, I hear a lot of times that people say "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" works. Um, I, I think they're 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 not thinking beyond. Um, they're not thinking broad enough in that if, and I like to equate it to um, for their spouse. Hmm. If they were told that they can't be seen with their spouse in public or if they are, they're constantly wondering, you know, how many, you know, I'm, I'm constantly with this person, what are people going to start saying? I can't show any affection in the supermarket, um, not even at home because who knows if somebody, my next door neighbor is military or, or knows someone who knows someone. Um, so you're just, it, 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 it's a very, uh, it's, a, it's an emotional strain to constantly live that life. Um, so again, I, I equate it to if you would ask a, uh, a heterosexual couple to completely hide every aspect of their relationship at work and in their personal life, and then have them tell me if, if, if that works for them. And nobody would say it would work for them. To the extent that it doesn't work for you, that it is that strain is... Um, not just present, but building over time. As you have this long-term relationship, you've lived this closeted life in the military. Are you considering leaving um, the military because of the policy? Is that contributing to a sense that you can't can't do this as long as the policy is in effect? It uh, it, it is hard because I've been in for several years, um, and it's crossed my mind that that if if this doesn't happen soon, that that I just I. I I won't. I can't emotionally keep going on, uh, and then also the impact of, of by virtue of being in the military, I'm, we move around a lot. Um, so I'm asking my partner to move around a lot as well, where he would like to start a career, and he can't as long as we're under this this pressure. Um, whereas if Don't Ask, Don't Tell was overturned, I would have a lot of uh, some other options available, uh, hopefully to. Uh, uh, to allow us to live a more complete life that we just we just don't have right now, so yeah, the um, if it doesn't, it would definitely contribute to uh, to to me just saying, well, I've, I've had enough. In terms of um, deploying and being in a relationship, um, how how did you deal with the logistics of that? How did you deal with the um, I the responsibilities of that. The, when, when you deploy, spouses have a lot of support back home. Um, the, one of the things, you know, they get, they get to say goodbye. I didn't get that luxury. I don't, I don't um, other than in private at home, but he did not get to come out and, and see me goodbye, did not get to see me come home. Um, my partner had medical issues at the time um, that were pretty serious. And I didn't know how to deal with that either. Um, again, who, 
who would call me if something happened and uh, to him and, and who would call him if something happened to me I was going uh, uh, integrated with an army unit at the time into uh, Fallujah Iraq and uh, um, it was it was a wild west and I had no idea what to expect so um, I knew it was going to be dangerous and I didn't know how he would be taken care of if something happened to me God forbid um, but one thing that did happen um, he with his medical issues and fortunately I didn't find out until after I got back but he was on the table and um, had to uh, had to be basically paddled back to life Wow um, his heart has stopped I didn't know that. He didn't tell me that. <laughs> um, you found out about it once you got home? Once I got home. If that had been someone's spouse, they would have been flown home immediately mm -hmm. to, be, to be with them. There's nothing I could do. If he, if he died, I'd have had to finish out my tour um, or risk um, getting kicked out of something that I've always wanted to do, something I've always loved doing, defending the country, defending the people of this country, and just doing something I love to do just because of that one fact. And now someone potentially, uh, someone very close to me was on a table in a hospital and I couldn't be with them. How did you deal with the prospect of you being injured or killed in action while you were in Iraq. How, how did you deal with trying to make sure that he would be notified if, if anything happened to you? I struggled with that because we weren't, we'd only been together a few months so I, I didn't know quite how it worked. The military didn't have anything set up to where um, I could make sure that he would be notified. I wasn't out to any of my friends or family at the time so I couldn't tell them. One thing, the only thing I could do um, is I wrote a, a letter to my best friend and uh, sealed it and, uh, and sent it to him and uh, he was to open it if, if something happened and that basically laid everything out and explained everything to him. But you weren't um, out to him at the time? I was not out, at him, out with, to him at the time, right. So if something had happened to you, he'd be opening a letter, a sealed letter that said don't open unless something happens to me and that's how he would have learned? Right doesn't seem like a very good system no it, no doesn't work for me and um, doesn't work for a lot of people unfortunately have you been able to come out to friends or family or anybody in the military since then um, in the military no other than mutual friends who happen to be uh, gay or lesbian as well you're out to other gay other, right service right, members. with okay. the exception of, of my friend who's 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 straight um, and he's been great with it uh, but other than him that, that, that would be it do you think that if don't ask don't tell was repealed that you would tell everybody <laughs> how, how would you, how <laughs> that, would you handle it? I, I, I don't think anybody would 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 still know it I, I think the majority of the members in the military are going to go in the work into work the next day and keep doing their job just the way they have all along but what we won't have to worry about is the what if what if someone finds out right. if the discussion comes out uh, up about hey what did you do last weekend uh, why why didn't you go out with this and um, I can tell them and without worrying about 
uh, my career. Um, so that's that's it's going to allow me to be more open when the discussions are there. But but for me personally, and some people may be different, but uh, I don't see me coming in the next day at work and and, and waving a rainbow flag. A federal judge last night. Um ordered a halt to the implementation of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, um, a stop to the discharges, a stop to the investigations affecting U.S. military personnel worldwide. Now, nobody exactly knows what the impact of that ruling is, but what's, what's your reaction to what is, uh, what is a landmark step um, toward ending this policy? What's been the reaction among other people you know uh, in the military? It's cautious optimism, hmm. to use that term. It's exciting. Um, we would, I, I think everybody agrees that it would, it would, in a perfect world, it would have been nice to have this accomplished in Congress. Uh, it was, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was developed in Congress and uh, in conjunction with the, uh, the administration at the time. Um, so it seems only right that that, was, that would be the way to uh, undo it as well, and, and that would be the correct way. Um, however, uh, this country has three branches of government and they're all equal. And the, 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 one of the roles of the judicial government, uh, or judicial branch, is to ensure um, equal rights for everybody and to right a wrong where a wrong has been, been, uh, been made. And I think the, uh, what we're seeing finally is that judges are, uh, are seeing where don't ask, don't tell is wrong. And uh, it does not enhance uh, good order and discipline in military units. And uh, that's why the ruling is what it is. Um, so, to answer your question, we'll uh, we'll take it in the courts if if, uh, if that's the way it has to happen, um, and then hopefully Congress will come around later. How do you feel about President Obama's leadership on this issue? Lacking, to be straightforward. Um, it, it's frustrating to see so much emphasis. And, and it is an important issue. The, the health care issue was a very important issue, and, and I'm, I was glad to see that get through. And he showed leadership there and really did a lot to get a very difficult bill through. Um, but it's frustrating to see a lack. Uh, we hear the words, but we don't see the action. Um, and it's frustrating to, 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 to not see any true action from the White House on, on this issue, pressuring uh, Congress and Senate, especially uh, when the uh, defense authorization bill was voted on, to not see the president come out and, and really throw his support behind it and uh, to try to pressure the Senate to, uh, to act on it. Um, so it's frustrating. In light of this ruling yesterday, is there something that, uh, if you could wave, wave a magic wand, if you could make policy decision for the White House right now, what would you want to see the president do? Um, instruct his um, uh, the Justice Department to not appeal the decision. Once, once that is done, the and I hate to use the word Pandora's box because that is a negative connotation, but that that's open. Uh, regardless of what happens in 2012 with the presidential elections, uh, if we will have gone two years with without don't ask, don't tell, you can't put that back in the box. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't put people back in the closet. So to think that another president will come along and undo it, I think is, uh, it would be very difficult. It's not to say that they wouldn't try, but um, if you have 
thousands of people in, the, in, in your military who are already out and have been out for two years, you're not going to be able to put them back in the closet. So I would say let it ride and let the appeal, or, or do, not, do not appeal it, and let the judge's decision uh, go as is. Our exclusive interview today with a combat veteran F-16 fighter pilot whose identity we agreed to shield because his private sexual orientation is still a fireable offense in America. Hey, David Pakman here, host of the nationally syndicated Midweek Politics with David Pakman. If you're anything like me, you're a regular listener to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I want to invite you to check out my show, Midweek Politics with David Pakman. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists you've ever seen. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out midweekpolitics.com, check out my show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of the Midweek Politics membership program. The policy of don't ask, don't tell is dead. President Obama has been trying to slowly strangle it, but thankfully Judge Virginia Phillips put it out of its misery. By ruling the policy infringes the fundamental rights of U.S. service members by violating their due process and free speech guarantees, she has finally interred don't ask, don't tell. Bill Clinton's compromise policy was always a cop-out. As commander-in-chief, he could have ordered the acceptance of gay troops and their integration, just as Harry Truman did with African Americans in the military, but Clinton waffled, and as a result, 12,500 service members have been unfairly booted from the military. Don't ask, don't tell satisfied no one, not the bigots, and not people committed to equality. Fortunately, the forces of equality have triumphed over the forces of bigotry, and that's what's most amazing of all about this ruling. It indicates just how far we've come in the last 17 years and how far the nation has come on the entire issue of gay rights over the last four decades. The nonviolent gay rights revolution has won the day. At this point, there are only a few holdouts hiding in caves like Japanese soldiers after World War II. And they can stay there for all I care. gathered here today in our pink shirts to bring awareness to the fight against breast cancer here in Fort Worth and across the globe. But tonight I ask my colleagues indulgence in allowing me to use my announcement time to talk briefly about another issue that pulls at my heart. Ron, would you go ahead and run the... Um, the parents of Asher Brown, who you can see above, uh, complained to school officials in the Cypress Fairbanks ISD outside of Houston that their son was being bullied and harassed in school. The bullies called him faggot and queer. They shoved him, they punched him, and in spite of his parents' calls to counselors and principals, the harassment, intimidation, and threats continued. For years, it continued. 
A couple of weeks ago, after being bullied at school, Asher went home, found his father's gun, and shot himself in the head. His father found Asher dead when he came home from work. Asher was 13 years old. I'd like for you to look at his face. Unlike Asher, Indiana teen Billy Lucas, who never, came, never self-identified as gay, but was perceived to be by bullies who harassed him daily at the Greenberg Community High School. Three weeks ago, he hung himself in his grandparents' barn. He was 15 years old. Minnesota 15-year-old Justin Auberg came out to friends at age 13, after which the harassment and bullying began. It grew as he moved from middle school to high school. When he found the harassment more than he could bear, he hung himself in his room and was found by his mother. Classmates started teasing and name-calling Seth Walsh in the fourth grade. It continued through his middle school years where other students told him the world didn't need another queer and that he should, quote, go hang himself. On September 18th, after being threatened by a group of older teens, he went home, threw a noose around a tree branch, and he did just that. He hung himself in his backyard. His mother, his mother saw him, pulled him down. Seth survived on life support for nine days before dying a couple of weeks ago. He was 13 years old. Teen bullying and suicide has reached an epidemic in our country, especially among gay and lesbian youth, those perceived to be gay, or kids who are just different. In recent weeks, New Jersey teen Tyler uh, Clemente jumped off a bridge to his death after his roommate outed him on the internet. Rhode Island teen Raymond Chase hung himself in his dorm room, and we learned just yesterday of Oklahoma teen Zach Harrington who killed himself after attending a city council meeting in Norman, Oklahoma, where speakers made disparaging anti-gay remarks. There is a conversation for the adults in this room and those watching to have, and we will have it, that this bullying and harassment in our schools must stop and that our schools must be a safe place to learn and to grow. It is never acceptable for us to be the cause of any child to feel unloved or worthless. And I am committed to being a part of that conversation. But tonight, I would like to talk to the 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17-year-olds at Pascal and at Arlington Heights and at Trimble Tech High Schools or at Daggett and Rosemont Middle Schools or any school in Fort Worth or anywhere across the country, for that matter. I know that life can seem unbearable. I know that the people in your household or in your school may not understand you, and that they may even physically harm you. But I want you to know that it gets better. When I was 13, I was a skinny, lanky, awkward teen who had grown too tall too fast, who would stumble over my own feet. I was the son of a Methodist church pianist named Jeanette and a cowboy named Fittingly, Fittingly Butch in Crowley, Texas. As their son and as a kid in a small town, there was a certain image of who I thought I was supposed to be. But as I entered adolescence, I started having feelings that I didn't understand and couldn't explain but I knew they didn't mesh with the image of what I thought I was supposed to be. I was a sensitive kid, but friendly. 
I was a band dork. I played basketball, but not very well. I was teased like all kids, but I was fairly confident, and I didn't let it bother me much. One day when I was in the ninth grade, just starting Crowley High School, I was cornered after school by some older kids who roughed me up. They said that I was a faggot and that I should die and go to hell where I belonged. That erupted the fear that I had kept pushed down, that what I was beginning to feel on the inside must somehow be showing on the outside. Ashamed, humiliated, and confused, I went home. There must be something very wrong with me, I thought, something I could never let my family or anyone else know. I think I'm going to have too hard a time with the next couple of sentences that I wrote. And also, I don't, I, I don't want my mother and father to, be, to bear the pain of having hear, hear me say that. So I will just say, and I'll skip ahead, I have never told this story to anyone before tonight. Not my family, not my husband, not anyone. But the numerous suicides in recent days have upset me so much and have just torn at my heart. And even though there may be some political repercussions for telling my story, this story is not just for the adults who might choose or not choose to support me. This story is for the young people who might be holding that gun tonight or the rope or the pill bottle. You need to know that the story doesn't end where I didn't tell it on that unfortunate day. There is so, so, so much more. Yes, high school was difficult. Coming out was painful. But life got so much better for me. And I want to tell any teen who might see this, give yourself a chance to see just how much life how much better life will get. And it will get better. You will get out of the household that doesn't accept you. You will get out of that high school and you never have to deal with those jerks again if you don't want to. You will find and you will make new friends who will understand you and life will get so, so, so much better. I look back and my life is full of so many happy memories that I wish I could share with those whose photos were shown up above earlier and those who have taken their lives. Memories that I wish I could share with a 13-year-old version of me on that very unfortunate day. If I could, I would take the 13-year-old me by the hand and take him to the campaign office in 1992 of then-Governor Clinton, where for a very speechless moment, my now partner J.D. Engel and I saw each other for the first time. I would take that 13-year-old me to the first day of spring in 1999 on a West Texas ranch hilltop, surrounded by a dozen head of black Angus cattle who thought we were there to feed. And as the sun set, turning the sky pink and purple and orange, in a way that only a West Texas sunset can, I jabbed my hands into my jeans pocket and pulled out two rings that I'd literally spent my last dollar on and slipped one onto J.D.'s hand and asked him to spend the rest of his life with me. 
I would take the 13-year-old Joel to election night in 2007 in a room filled with countless family and friends, erupting in cheers when it became clear that I would win my first election so that they could see the love and support for me that was in the room that night. And I would take the... I would take the 13-year-old me to just a few days ago at Baylor Hospital to see our dad. Our dad, who's no longer the 40-year-old tough cowboy that he was when I was 13, who I thought would never understand me, but is now the 67-year-old dad, still pretty tough cowboy, who has grown older, and the 13-year-old me would see me today holding my dad's weathered hand and see my dad as he woke up from his operation and him squeeze my hand and look up at me and say, Joel, I'm so glad you're here today. Let me say back to my dad, I am too, daddy. I am too. To, to those who are feeling very alone tonight, please know that I understand how you feel. But things will get easier. Please stick around to make those happy memories for yourself. It may not seem like it tonight, but they will. And the attitudes of society will change. Please live long enough to be there to see it. And to the adults, the bullying and the harassment has to stop. We cannot look aside as life after life is tragically lost. If you need resources, please check out the trevorproject.org online. And you can call me, and I will get you whatever resources you need. My number is 817-392-8809. I want to thank those in this room for allowing me this time. And to J.D. and the rest of my family, I am sorry for you learning of this painful personal story in this public way for the first time. But know that I am able to tell it because of your love for me. And Mom and Dad... I'm alive today because you love me. Again, attitudes will change. Life will get better. And you will have a lifetime of happy memories if you just allow yourself and give yourself the time to make them. Thank you. If I didn't know the difference Living alone probably be okay It wouldn't be lonely I got a long way to go I'm getting further away A lot of hours to occupy It was easy when I didn't know you yet Things I'd have to forget But 
Gotta better be quiet now Tired, wasting my breath Carrying on, getting upset On my way today to conduct these two exclusive interviews we've done with two American fighter pilots who would be fired from the military if they revealed their identities because of the don't ask, don't tell policy. On my way into those interviews today, I, I handed somebody else on set my Blackberry. I said, the sound guy, Larry the sound guy is going to tell everybody to turn off their Blackberry. So turn off yours and everybody else turn off theirs, but secretly don't turn this one off. Keep this one on and keep your eye on the inbox because if in the middle of me talking to these fighter pilots, the White House or the Pentagon announces that they are complying with that judge's order, that the implementation of Don't Ask, Don't Tell is going to be put on pause if a decision is made to stop implementing the policy that is the subject of these interviews, you have to stop the interview. If a decision on this pops on my BlackBerry while I am interviewing these fighter pilots today, interrupt the interview, just walk over, tap me on the shoulder, and hand this to me, and we will stop what we're doing. Because these fighter pilots, I think, may want me to turn the lights on at that point. They are ready to stop lying about who they are and to stop worrying every day that they could be fired at any moment. That's why they told us they wanted to be on this TV show to talk about this. So I said to poor Julia at the interview shoot, secretly don't turn off my BlackBerry and interrupt me when something happens. She did not interrupt me because nothing happened. No word from the Pentagon or from the White House about a response to the court-ordered injunction banning implementation of Don't Ask, Don't Tell today. Rather, we are told to expect, probably imminently, that the Department of Justice will appeal the ruling and appeal to stay the injunction. Robert Gibbs, the White House spokesman, had this off-camera but on-the-record explanation today. Quote, the president strongly believes that this policy is unjust, that it is detrimental to our national security, and that it discriminates against those who are willing to die for their country. And the president strongly believes that it's time for this policy to end. As you know, the president has implemented a process with the Department of Defense, with the Secretary of Defense, with Admiral Mullen and the other members of the Joint Chiefs, to move forward in implementing an end to this policy in an orderly way. The best way to end it <clears throat> excuse me, is for the Senate to follow the lead of the House of Representatives so that end can be implemented in a fashion that's consistent with our obligations in fighting two wars. But absent that action, he said, the president again has set up a, a process to end this policy. The bottom line is that this is a policy that's going to end. It's not whether it will end, but the process by which it will end. Here's the thing. The White House line, the line from the administration on this now, is that they'd like the Senate to repeal it. Absent that action, the spokesman said, absent that action, absent the Senate voting to repeal it, absent the moon crashing through the atmosphere and turning us all to green cheese, absent that action of the Senate repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell, the White House says there is an orderly process underway to get rid of the policy. And that orderly process is that the Senate will repeal it? The White House is sternly assuring everyone that the policy will end. And when you drill down on how they say it will end, they say it will end because the Senate will end it. Even though the Senate has just chosen not to end it. And the Senate is poised to get more conservative, not less, in the imminent elections. This is incoherence. 
OutServe, the underground network of gay service personnel, has reported that there is a widespread perception in the military in the wake of the ruling that the court ruling against the policy yesterday means the policy is over. Service Members Legal Defense Network has set up a website, sldn.org slash still at risk, to warn members of the military to not come out that the policy is still in effect. We were told in all of our queries today that anyone coming out in the military now is absolutely still at risk of being fired for doing so. It is not over. The policy is still in effect. And the plan from the White House for ending it is apparently to count on the United States Senate to do the right thing. That's the plan. Aaron Belkin, an expert on the issue at UC Santa Barbara, told the New York Times today the thing that everybody else is dancing around and unwilling to admit. Uh, unwilling to admit <clears throat> that unless the president declines to appeal the ruling in long cabin Republicans versus United States, the don't ask, don't tell policy probably will remain law for years. He's right. Unless you believe the U.S. Senate is going to do the right thing by gay people this year with John McCain still there and a slate of Republican Senate candidates that includes an activist against women even serving in the military who once toured the country promoting the idea that being gay is curable you know like as if it's athlete's foot or something unless you believe that the United States Senate after this year's elections is going to do the right thing by gay service members ha then the decision by the Obama administration whether or not to appeal this ruling is likely a decision between killing this policy now and letting it survive probably forever. This is not the conclusion I expected to reach after today's reporting on this subject and after today's interviews. Everybody says the Justice Department appealing this ruling is an, inevit an inevitability. It does not have to be. It is not inevitable. If the administration believes the law is unconstitutional, there is precedent that supports the administration not appealing it and letting the law die. An orderly time frame for the death of the law can be arranged with the court. I hereby declare that I will never get another call back in Washington ever again for putting it this way to you, but it is the way it is. A plan that has no chance of becoming reality is not a real plan, no matter how much you say it is. You can either end it or you can stop saying you will. Thank you very much. Hey Jay, this is Matt calling from Philadelphia. Uh, I just wanted to call with a quick message regarding some stuff that's been going on recently, um, mainly the teen suicides uh, related to LGBT issues and the growing It Gets Better campaign. Um, big things with this being that I think that we're sending two different messages, one being it gets better, but two is that you should be dealing with it. Never in any other period of time have we ever told any minority group or any um, people who are suffering in taking their lives to suck it up because it will eventually get better. Rather, we should say it shouldn't be this way and, you know, try to improve the circumstances for everybody. Um, I think what really brought me to this was after I saw Secretary uh, Clinton and uh, even President Barack Obama, who went on the air and said this. Um, however, his contradictory um, actions in regard to Don't Ask, Don't Tell and being a you know, fierce advocate of LGBT issues. I just find it somewhat hard to stomach. Um, I'd love if you were able to show on this. I know there's a lot of information coming out recently um, and a lot of, you know, good uh, 
material. So uh, more power to you, and thanks a lot for all you do. Hey, Jay, this is Ari again. I work 60 hours a week. I make tons of money, but I can't do anything with it. I have a contract job, and I'll lose my job if I take days off. I can't uh, call in sick. I have no paid holidays, no paid vacation, no benefits, no medical care, none of that kind of stuff. But I do get, you know, like I said, a healthy paycheck. And I want to help out people because I want to, I want to speak up about the rally. I, I think it's a good idea. I, I wish I could go. I wish we could be more um, involved in this kind of stuff. But I feel like I got put in a trap. Like, I got this crappy job that doesn't give me any freedom. Like, my company owns me. And it makes me sick. Like, I just want to do something with this money. Like, I could easily pay for some people to go to this rally and help them, and they could take my place. So I just want to throw that out there. Maybe there's something we could do, um, like, uh, through the website or something where we can uh, donate money to uh, people who want to go and, you know, try to help see this along because... I agree, man. People got to show up, and we got to show these fuckers that we care. We're pissed, and we're serious, and we're we're ready to, you know, make a difference. We're not just a bunch of stoners, and uh, we're we're here to, you know, speak up and do something. So, anyways, let's get organized. And I just love the show. I listen to it every day, and uh, whenever I get a chance. So keep up the good work, and thank you. Bye. Hey, this is Rachel Ann from Reno, Nevada, and I just wanted to thank you so much for producing such a great podcast. Um, I'm only 16, so it's really hard to talk about politics with my friends, so because none of them are informed. And this is just a really great way to satisfy my need for that stuff. And this past week, this last episode the, about the drug war was great. I literally was cheering during it and thank you so much for consolidating all the stuff and making just a really great great podcast. Thank you so so much. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to those who called in to leave a voicemail. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. The uh, voicemail I want to respond to today is uh, the one from uh, Ari from Vacaville, who called in talking about how he doesn't have the time to get out and go to the rally himself, but he would love to have a way to fund a trip for someone else who wants to go, has the time, but doesn't have the money. You know, it's a great idea. My, uh, I'm responding to it because it plays into something I want to talk about anyways. My first reaction to that uh, by itself is, you, you know, the rally's three days away and I have no infrastructure set up to try to facilitate that sort of a thing. You know, people could post to the, the Facebook page and comment on that between each other and, and get hooked up that way. But I don't have, you know, the time ability wherewithal infrastructure of any kind to uh, to fil- facilitate that. So I wholeheartedly love the sentiment, but it's just something I can't do at the moment, which brings me to the point that I wanted to talk about today anyways, which is that uh, I've developed a, a more robust set of volunteer opportunities for listeners. Um, for years, I've gotten emails asking, uh, hey, you know, I can't afford to, to donate or become a member. Uh, but I would love to help. Is there anything I can do? 
and I never really had a good answer to that question. Um, but I was spurred to really think about it, meditate on it and figure out a way for people to help, uh, in really, really substantive ways that are also really, really easy so that just about anyone can do it. And the, the reason I was pushed to, to do this is that, you know, I am, am just about maxed out at the moment between the production schedule of the show and all the prep work that goes into collecting all of the material uh, and, and dealing with a few other things behind the scenes. I just, I just don't have extra time available. And for a long time, I thought, well, that's, it's not so bad. Like I'm not overworked. I'm not underworked. I'm just, I'm just doing everything that needs to be done and then everything gets done. But what doesn't get done, what I've been realizing recently is any chance for really substantive improvement. And I have just like a couple of things. Uh, There's a very, very incomplete list of things that I could be spending my time on if I had more of it free. Um, I've gotten lots of requests for an Android uh, application for the show. Um, lots of people request that I've even had a couple of developers offer to make one for me. And basically the one reason why that still doesn't exist is because I haven't had the time to work with those developers to try to get it made something that could work towards, uh, Ari's point about trying to, you know, develop a way so that he could donate money to other people to go to the rally. If this show had, uh, forums on the website, then we could easily put together something like that. We could put together a a discussion thread. People would be on there talking about, you know, the show or politics or anything else. And then there would be a little community of people and those people could go and help each other out, um, for an idea like this. And it would be a pretty quick turnaround of someone figuring that out, uh, you know, someone coming up with the idea and then, uh, and then putting it together into, you know, a little uh, scholarship program of some sort. Again, you know, this show used to have forums like four years ago. Uh, they've been, they, you know, they were done away with a long time ago and they've never come back, even though I would like to have them back again, because I don't have the time to work with a web developer who could help set that up for me. So those are just a couple of small things, but you can imagine, you know, if, if I had time to work on bigger, uh, more long-term projects like that, rather than just doing all the prep work for the show, uh, you know, you could see how over time the show could really become substantively better, more robust, have a uh, better presence on the web, have a better community of listeners and so on and so on, which is why uh, I really want to encourage you to uh, volunteer to help out the show. Check out bestoftheleft.com and there is now a big volunteer tab at the top where I've just updated it with new uh, ways that you can help and it's really technically very, very simple things, uh, using free programs. So it shouldn't cost you any money. Um, and I, so, you know, basically just, if you have some time to volunteer and you want to help out the show, I have some really easy things you could do. Um, and just know that if you sign up to do those things, that then allows me to do the kind of bigger, more complex things, you know, like an Android app and so on and so on. And actually, this isn't even the first time I've set up something like this. I have already dipped my toe into the uh, the world of volunteer management. And so for the past, uh, you know, pretty long while, maybe a, a year or so, 
I've had um, kind of a rotating set of volunteers who have been helping me gather Daily Show and Colbert clips. And those are the most complicated ones to get. Um, and, and so that's what I started with, teaching people how, how to do this. And, um, and th that's definitely more technically involved, but, uh, but I do have some volunteers doing that and I wanted to actually take this opportunity to thank them <laughs> because they've been helping out for a long time and I'm just uh, ashamed that I, I don't know that I've ever taken the time to thank them on the air. So Matt, Matthew, Mike, and Colette uh, are my four volunteers right now uh, helping out with uh, Daily Show and Colbert. And I certainly want to get into more of a habit of, uh, you know, showing my appreciation for the volunteers and thanking you guys. So for anyone who signs up, you know, just believe me, I will make it clear uh, how much I appreciate your help. So again, if you're interested, read about all the details uh, on the website. Most of your questions will be answered. And then if you're uh, interested or have questions, then you can just drop me a line, j at bestoftheleft.com. So now speaking of thanking people, I just want to thank a couple of members. Teresa A signed up for a monthly membership back on April 6th and Judith M signed up on August 20th, went ahead and signed up for a full year in advance. So huge thanks to Teresa and Judith and all of the uh, members and donors who make this show possible. Of course, we all have them to thank for the fact that uh, I'm able to do 10 shows a month instead of four like it was before. So uh, obviously the members allow me to uh, to do as many shows as I do. And now I'm hoping that the volunteers will allow me to uh, you know, do the same number of shows and make them better all around. Of course, everyone can support the show in the easiest way possible just by telling everyone you know about it. You can spread the word online, of course, one of the best ways to uh, to spread the word about a show that's on the internet, uh, by joining up with us on Twitter and Facebook and spreading the word about the show to your uh, network of friends and family on, on those uh, systems. While you're online, if you'd like details about the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all of those details are always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. black and white, you took apart a picture that wasn't right. 